Galatians 4, verses 8 to 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you, are, that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Amen. God will bless this reading from his holy word. Let's just pray together before we look at God's word. Father, we still ourselves before you this morning, and we acknowledge that your word is a living word, one that can speak into our hearts and minds, into our souls, into our lives, into our situations. And we pray, Lord God, that in this place that you might speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, speech, if you think about it, is a a really strange thing, isn't it? Speech and language. It's amazing, of course, that we can uh, speak uh, at all, that we can communicate using language. And, of course, there are so many different languages all around the world, aren't there? Now, I don't know about you, but I was never very good at languages at school. Some people have a great aptitude for it. Uh, I, unfortunately, am not one of those people. And I was forced, forced pretty much, through four years of secondary school to learn French. And I had the same teacher for the whole four years. Poor teacher. And it was a, it was a slog. So much so that nowadays I can hardly remember anything, and I could never really converse usefully in French at all. I could tell you my name. Well, I could tell you my name anyway. 
Uh, but I could tell you my address. I could tell you my age. I could tell you about household items. How useful is that? So I could tell you that the, the rideau would be put on the fenetre and that your lee would be found in your chambre. And if you don't know what any of that means, then your French is as bad as mine. So I find people that are good at languages quite amazing. I had a lecturer at university who was fluent in 26, 27 languages. Unbelievable. And he used to circulate at gatherings of the divinity faculty up in Aberdeen. And there were people of various different nationalities and numerous languages. And it was mind-blowing. He just went round each person and was able just to converse with them in their mother tongue. It was unbelievable. However, even though some people can be fluent in a language, there's often something that, that stumps people when it comes to language, when it's not your mother tongue. And the things that often stump people are idioms or turns of phrase, colloquialisms. And we have many, don't we, in the English language. Phrases like, it's a piece of cake, or letting the cat out of the back, or not beating around the bush. And we, of course, have lots of phrases, idioms, and proverbs in Scotland too that are difficult to understand if you're not from Scotland. Lang me your lum reek. What does that mean if you're from England or Wales? Who knows? Gate laldy. We've not done that for a wee while in here, have we? And Prestwick Airport's favourite, pure, dead, brilliant. What does that mean? Now, one of the phrases that we probably uh, all know is this one, and you can, you can finish this uh, for me. So you know this phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Now, of course, we all know what that means, don't we? That you can make it easy for someone to do something, but you can't force them to do it. Now, in many ways, that phrase would be applicable in the passage that we read today in Galatians. You see, as we've been seeing throughout our series looking at Galatians, Paul has been saying constantly to the Galatians to whom he is writing, and he's been trying to say to them, look, faith in Jesus alone is sufficient in terms of salvation. Faith in Jesus is sufficient. Over and over again, that has been Paul's message. Because as we know, what's been happening in this, this area of Galatia, uh, in modern Turkey, is that people have been coming in after Paul had come in and were saying, look, you know what Paul's been saying is fine, but it's not sufficient, that more is needed. That the people there needed to, to follow the law, they needed to follow the food laws, that they needed to be circumcised. And as we've seen consistently in this letter, Paul's been defending himself and his apostleship, defending the gospel that he's been proclaiming. And over the past couple of weeks, what we've seen is Paul's theological justification that the promise made to Abraham was prior to the law being given, and it was fulfilled in Jesus. And that the period between Moses and Jesus, the period of the law, if you want to put it in those terms, that was when the law acted as a guardian. 
It showed what sin is, something it continues to do, and it brought constraint. But what Paul has been very clear about is that in terms of salvation, it's always been about faith. It's faith alone that saves us, faith in Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed us by dying on the cross at Calvary and through whom we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in today's passage in chapter 4, verse 8 and onwards, we see in some ways Paul's frustration, don't we? We saw some of his frustration at the the beginning of of chapter 3, and we see Paul's frustration again here in chapter 4. Indeed, if we were going to use a good Scots phrase, Paul is doing his dinger. Do you know that one? That was a phrase that was included in the Oxford English Dictionary just this year. Paul is doing his dinger. He's doing his head in. Why? Because he's frustrated and he's concerned about these Galatian believers. Indeed, more than that, as Paul says in verse 20, he's perplexed. He's perplexed. You see, to Paul, what the Galatians are in danger of doing seems to make no sense to him whatsoever. You see, faith in Jesus ought to bring freedom, hope, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Galatians are in danger of of casting that aside to focus on things which don't bring salvation, which don't bring life, and which don't bring hope. And that's what Paul is perplexed about. He's basically saying to the Galatians, why would you do such a thing? It makes no sense. Well, what were the Galatians in danger of? Well, the first thing they're in danger of is slavery. They're in danger of slavery. You see, Paul makes it clear that the Galatians, before the Galatians were believers, that they were enslaved by the world by those things which are are not gods. If they were pagans, they probably had to follow certain rules about certain gods. They would have special days, seasons, whatever it might be. And even in our own day, we sometimes have small gods, if we want to put them in those terms. Small gods of wealth, pride, ambition, and more. And the Galatians are in danger of going back to being enslaved because of this focus upon the law. You see, they are beginning to focus on special days, months, seasons, and years, rather than focusing on Jesus. And the reality is, as Paul says here, is that when you focus on such things and you become such a a legalist and so focused on formal things, that brings misery. It's miserable. And so easily, we also can fall into that trap, can't we? A trap of formalism, of legalism, rather than trusting in God and trusting in Jesus. You see, it's good, isn't it, to have good habits and to be disciplined spiritually? But when it spills over into going through the motions holding on to tradition, 
doing things because that's simply what's expected. That's when things become a problem. And Paul is perplexed for the Galatians and more. He fears he's wasted his efforts on them. In other words, he fears that he's led the horse to water, but it isn't willing to take a drink. So what's Paul's solution? Well, he pleads for the Galatians. We see this in verse 12. And he pleads that they become like him as he became like them. Now, let's not think here that Paul is going on some ego trip by pointing towards himself. He's not saying here, look, I am a super spiritual Christian, therefore do what I do. That's not what Paul is doing. We know that when Paul goes to to somewhere culturally different, that he's culturally sympathetic. He becomes like the people that he goes to. It's quite clear this is what's happened in this case. And it's clear that the Galatian church has been very good to Paul, especially when he was ill. We don't quite know what the illness is here because of what he says later on. It could have been a problem with his eyes. We're not quite certain. But the Galatians have clearly showed him care, concern, welcome. And so Paul is just mystified. Why has this changed? Paul wants them to, to care for him like he cares for them and to follow his example in following Christ, who is the truth. You see, Paul senses that the Galatians have have cooled towards him. You see, before, they would have torn out their eyes and, and given them to Paul. That's quite an image, isn't it? Can you think of people in your life that you'd be willing to tear out your eyes for? That's quite a commitment, isn't it? Huge commitment. Yeah, that's what Paul says about the Galatians. That's how on fire they were for God and how much they loved Paul. But now things have changed. They've cooled towards him. It's as though he's being treated as their enemy. Why? Simply because he's been telling them the truth. And that doesn't seem quite right, does it? It certainly doesn't seem right to Paul. And and so Paul is keen for the Galatians to turn back, to turn to what's right and true, to follow his example in following Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the only way to salvation and to freedom. You see, effectively, what Paul is doing is pleading with the Galatians to come back, come back to your first love. Come back to Jesus. Don't let your heads be turned by by anything else. Don't think that salvation comes by keeping the law, by keeping special days and months and seasons. Come back to Jesus. And what an important lesson that is for us. You see, what is it that the hymn says? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand.
do you believe that all other ground is sinking sand? You see, it's interesting in Jesus that we truly find salvation. So let's continue to do so. Now, the last thing this morning we find in verses 17 to 20. You see, Paul sees that those who have come in to teach the Galatians about the law and keeping the law, he sees that they are, they are zealous. They are zealous for what they believe. And, and there's nothing wrong with being zealous, is there? There's nothing wrong with being enthusiastic, provided, Paul says, that the purpose is good. And clearly in this case, with those coming in who are saying that Paul's gospel is inadequate, Paul judges that their zeal is misplaced and misleading. And we must be careful in our own Christian lives that we too are not misled simply by someone being passionate or zealous about something. People can be zealous about lots of, of different things. And we can sometimes be, be swept up in their enthusiasm, can't we? Even within the Christian life. That's why we need to weigh things up in the light of Scripture. And we need to pray, to seek the Lord, to see if it's true. You see, zeal is good when it's rightly placed. Indeed, it's important that we are zealous for the Lord. I think we need a bit more enthusiasm. We need a wee bit more zeal, don't we? Sometimes I think as Christians, you know, we can be very, oh, I don't really care about, or we act as though we don't really care about faith. As if faith not important. We, we sometimes act as though church is not really important to us. Do people really know that we're a Christian? Well, does our lives show it? Is there enough evidence to convict us that we are a Christian? Sometimes we need to show zeal in our life. It's important to do so for God's glory and God's honor, the way that Paul displayed it in his life. So we see this morning that Paul is frustrated. He's frustrated by the Galatians who are threatening to turn away from the gospel. He fears he's wasted his efforts, and he is perplexed. But I hope what you also see this morning is that Paul is passionate for the Galatians. Do you see that? He really cares for them. He really cares. He truly loves them. What does he call them? He calls them his dear children. Why? Because he feels like a father in the faith. And Paul's been on this journey with these Galatian believers. He, he's taken them to the, the refreshing waters of the gospel, and he's desperate. Drink, just drink it. But like when you take a horse to the water, you can't force it to drink. And Paul is pained by this. We see his vivid language towards the end that he, he feels like he's in the pains of childbirth for them. He so wants them to be born again and to live. 
but you can't force them. And as we finish today, there's a really important message there, isn't there? You see, this was Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sharing the the good news of the gospel to these Galatians. And yet the Galatians are in danger of not believing it. Perhaps we have shared our faith with our families, our friends. Perhaps we have done so for years. And we fear that our efforts have been wasted. But the fact is, like Paul, we can take the horse to water, but we can't make it drink. You see, all we're called to do is to share the truth about Jesus. But we can't force people to believe. We can't grab hold of their hand and shove their hand up their back and say, believe, believe. We can't do that. Only God can work in people's lives and in people's hearts to claim them as his own. So I encourage you today, be zealous, enthusiastic, but in the right way. Keep sharing the truth. Let's not be afraid. Let's not dilute the truth. Let's share the truth as Paul did. And of course, let us pray that people wouldn't be misled, but that they would come to a lasting faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You see, we can't do it in our own strength, can we? can't force people to believe, but God can through His Holy Spirit. Maybe we just need to pray more. We need to pray with more conviction. And we need to seek after the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to work in people's lives. And let's not think that God is not a God of compassion and not a God of grace. For those people in our lives that we are concerned about, for those people that we long to put their faith and trust in Jesus, do you believe that God doesn't care? Of course He cares. That's why He sent Jesus in the first place. So believe and trust in your heavenly Father this day. Believe and trust He is a good, good Father. Believe and trust that He wants everyone who's called to put their faith and trust in Him. Amen.